May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. There's always one thing. It's never a lot of things. It's usually just one. But never fail, I will forget something. I mean, if I'm baking, it's just one ingredient, usually a small ingredient. It's like baking soda or baking powder, neither of which I understand at all. I don't know, I don't know the difference between them and what, what they do, but it's one of those. Or a little dash of vanilla or you know, a dash of salt or something like that. There will always be something that I forget. If I'm doing a repair job, you know, if the, um, the garage door opener isn't working or a DVD player isn't working or something like that, I'll take it apart and try to examine the parts inside and see if I can find out what's going or not going on and, and try to repair it. And then I'll put the thing back together and I'll look down and there'll be two screws left over. And I figure it's like an appendix, you know, you probably couldn't live without them. But there's always something that I forget in that. Grocery shopping is a horrific experience in memory, recall for me. You know, I go to the store for a lime and a pepper, you know, and that's all I need, a lime and a pepper. And I go in and I walk into the produce department and I'm like, oh, look at those pretty oranges, you know, and, and the apples, they look so great, and the lettuce looks really... It, before long, I've forgotten what it was that I came there to get, which was a lime and... You forgot too, see? It happens. We don't know. We go in and all of a sudden there are these, all these things. And, but this experience is so commonplace. This happened to your grandmother. I mean, even when supermarkets weren't so super, you know, people still got there and forgot what they wanted to do. And, and so they had a fail-proof method for not forgetting something. They wrote a list, right? That's right. You write a list. I am a, um, I'm a scrupulous list maker. I write lists all the time of things I'm supposed to remember. I write them down. And so I'm getting ready to go to the grocery, and I write the list. And then I put the list on the counter, and I walk out without it. And I get to the grocery, and I'm tearing through my car looking for that list. I know I have it somewhere. Oh, I've taken to the emailing myself. I don't know if you ever do this. I email myself. I email myself all the time. Um, and so I email myself a list. And then I leave my phone on the counter and I get there. You're going to think I'm lying, but I'm not. Thursday, just this past Thursday, just a few days ago, I saw Joan at the, at the Acme when I went. I rode my bicycle from my house, two miles, not very far, to the Acme. And I get there and I go shopping. I get the very few things that I can put on the back of my bicycle. And I get to the cash register. And I forgot my wallet. I had to call my son and have him get my wallet. I could have ridden home and ridden back, but this seemed like an exercise in futility. I called him. He, he brought me the wallet, and there I was, such a loser, forgetting things all the time. Just one thing. Just one thing. But, you know, if I forget a list, and I get to the grocery, and I buy oranges and chicken, instead of limes and peppers, and I get home. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world, right? It's not the end of the world. We can have orange chicken instead of steak tacos. It can all work out. These aren't biggest things. Uh, you know, if I, if I get the, the garage door opener apart and put it back together and it doesn't work, well, it wasn't working before, you know, so it's no real problem there either. If I make a cake and it's flat and I can't eat it, well... I could just have a salad instead, and none of you better look at me and nod your head either. Um, say, oh yeah, you can just have a salad. Didn't really need a cake to begin with. 
there are things you can forget. And they're maddening. They might be problematic. They might be frustrating. But it's not a real disaster. It's not. Um, there is this term, um, uh, gossipiboma. I think it's how you say it, gossipiboma. Um, this is the term for foreign objects left in a human body during surgery. It happens. Okay, so sponges are put into your body to soak up blood while a surgeon is working on you. And they get saturated and they disappear. And so it happens quite frequently. In order to combat this, surgical teams count sponges. I've actually been in a surgical theater when I was a, a, stu a seminary student and was in training at a, at a hospital. Um, they had me go in and watch a surgery. And the surgical teams count the sponges. They count them before and then they count them after. There were 14 when we started. There are going to be 14 when we're finished, right? And so they do this. But I was reading where a recent st uh, study was done, and in 72% of surgeries, there was a miscount on the sponges, either before or after. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a little scary, right? Anybody who's ever been. But imagine you go to the hospital and you bring up gossip of Boma, and they say to you, listen. We have solved the problem in 99.99% of the cases, right? It only happens in a .001% of the time that we have this lost item. You might feel relieved. You might for about a moment until you did the math. There are 48 million surgeries in the United States every year, which means nearly 50,000 people every year at 99.9% would have. 99.9% is not good enough. I need, I need a better percentage than that. And they do. There actually is a better percentage than that, although nobody actually releases the true number. Um, you can't find it. I mean, I've tried. It, it's just not out there, so I'm not sure what it is. 99.9% of the time is not good enough for surgeons. It's not good enough for airplane mechanics. It's not good enough for parachute folders, you know? It, it, that's not good enough. It's not good enough for astronauts or divers. There are times when precision needs to be made, when you cannot forget something. You can't. You simply cannot forget it. It must be remembered. Items are so important. Lives are at stake. Sometimes forgetting even just one thing can be a recipe for disaster. And that brings us to the book of Acts. St. Luke's book of Acts. He wrote um, the Gospel of St. Luke, and then he writes his follow-up volume, volume 2, the book of Acts. These are um, kind of hand in glove. They go together as, as two pair. Um, I know it's confusing in your Bibles because... Somebody in their wisdom stuck St. John in between Luke and Acts, thinking that they were helping us by keeping Gospels in one place and Acts in another. But it is volume two of Luke's Gospel. And if you were to read through the book of Acts, it's a fascinating story. Fascinating story of the church's beginnings and, and their first forays into mission and, and the work that was going on. There, You'll read about all kinds of struggles and misunderstandings and political opposition and all these sorts of things. It's a fantastic read. But Luke begins the book where he leaves off in the gospel. Jesus is resurrected, and he's about to ascend to heaven. And it's not in your lesson today, but in the first chapter of, of the book of Acts, he says, Jesus says this to his friends. While staying with them, Jesus ordered them, ordered them, commanded them, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you've heard from me. For John was baptized with water, 
But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Before any mission, before any sermon was preached, before any attempt to spread the gospel throughout the world was made, Jesus said, wait. One thing is most important. Don't do anything else until this happens. What is the this? What's the this thing? What, the, what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything until you receive the promise of the Father. Wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is essential to power. Without the Holy Spirit, the church lacks the power they need to do what they need to do. You will receive power, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes. And then Luke says, they're all in one place. They're waiting. It's ten days since the ascension. They've been waiting for a week and a half, almost a fortnight. I always like to work the word fortnight into a sentence. Waiting for a fortnight. And here they are, all of a sudden, suddenly, Luke says, suddenly, out of nowhere, boom, it happens with no sort of um, you know, uh, warning sign. It's like a crack of thunder on a, on a clear day. It just comes out of nowhere and the Holy Spirit begins his work. And, and then Luke gives us these similes. The similes, like and as. Remember that? Metaphors, but use like and as. Back to grade school for just a minute. He uses these similes. The Holy Spirit comes like a violent rushing wind. And tongues descend like tongues of fire. Now he's not saying the Holy Spirit was a rushing wind. Or the Holy Spirit was tongues of fire. But like a rushing wind, like tongues of fire. I think Luke wants us to see this as power. The Holy Spirit came with a manifestation of power. Like a mighty rushing wind. Um, just a, a couple days, a few days ago, um, in my hometown uh, near Dayton, Ohio, there were these violent tornadoes that came through. And I was just back um, a, a couple days ago, and, and my brother-in-law was telling me that there was this house in Dayton where this car was lifted up off of the ground and thrown into a second-story um, uh, house, in a second story of a home, through the front of the building, landed on top of a man in his bed, and he perished in this event. This is the strength of a tornado, Right? A tornadic wind that could lift a 3,000-pound car off the ground and throw it through a second floor uh, of a building. The Holy Spirit is like a mighty rushing wind. Not destructive, but unmanageable. If there's a tornado coming, you don't think of ways to stop it. You get out of the way. You take cover. You, you recognize that you cannot manage this wind. Um, my, my sons live out in Oregon. My two older sons live in Oregon, in, in southwestern Oregon, where it's not like, I know probably a lot of people think Oregon, think Portland, think wet and rainy and, and uh, rainforest. Not like that at all. Think northern California with um, kind of roaming hills and, and really super hot temperatures and dry in the summer. And there were forest fires going on last year and the year before that were unmanageable. They, they simply could not be controlled. This is the image that Luke has given you. The Holy Spirit shows up and the Holy Spirit is unmanageable. He's so powerful that you cannot get your arms around Him. There's no way that, that humans can control Him. And all of a sudden these gifts are given. The ones who are waiting begin to speak in other languages. 
They weren't speaking ecstatic language. They were speaking languages that people knew, but which they had never themselves learned. I traveled through, um, you know, Europe a couple years ago, in Spain, in France. The most difficult thing to do, right, if you don't speak the language. In Israel, they spoke a lot more English in Israel. But in those other places, you know, like, oh, ordering a little bit of food. Um, I did learn vino rather quickly. You can get all these words that you can learn, but they're, they're, you know, just little bits. Peter doesn't know these languages. He comes out and he begins to speak them, and the others begin to speak them, and people hear them in their own language. If I suddenly started speaking French and you started understanding it in French, what an amazing thing that would be, right? Now, Luke writes this. When the unbelievers heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the others, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. So those who welcomed this message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. It's like a Billy Graham crusade, right? I mean, this is all of a sudden a spontaneous preaching mission turns into 3,000 people coming to faith. And Peter at the end of his sermon said, In the last days, God declares, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall see visions. Your, uh, your young men shall see visions, rather, and your old men shall dream dreams. It wasn't just the preacher. The Holy Spirit was poured out on all of them. They all began to receive the Holy Spirit. And when that happened, mighty things began to take place. Why did Jesus tell his friends, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit, wait for the Holy Spirit to come? Because the infilling of the Holy Spirit was indispensable to the life of the church. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no church. There, there can be no making up, no, no shifting ingredients. You can't, you can't kind of, you know, substitute applesauce for sugar. Nothing else works. This is an indispensable ingredient. The presence of Almighty God, the Holy Spirit. Now, if we look at this thing, this passage rather, about what happened, it, it first of all strikes us as a historical event, doesn't it? I mean, it's sort of like the birth of a baby. You know, it happened. And in that way, it's unrepeatable. You know, um, all of you one day were born. You can't go back and redo that. I don't know who would want to, but you can't. You know, this is it. It's, a, it's an event that takes place in history, and it's unrepeatable. But in another way, it is repeatable. Even though your birth cannot be duplicated, people have babies all the time. It's an ongoing, repeated event. And it reminds us that we, too, need this indispensable gift, the presence of God himself in the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit for several things. We need the Holy Spirit for holiness. Now, I don't know about you, but I still struggle with sin. I still struggle with selfishness. I still struggle with all the vices that, um, that exist. I have a war against them. I don't like them. I don't want to give in to them. But I sometimes find that 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 temptation is so strong. Especially the subtle ones. The big ones are easy to overcome, or the small ones, I mean, are easy to overcome. They seem like they're big deals. They're not. It's the subtle ones, like pride, that are so difficult. They slip in so easily. We need the Holy Spirit for holiness. 
St. Augustine famously says, Command whatever you will, O God, but give me the grace to do what you command. In other words, say, you tell me whatever you want. I'll do whatever you tell me to do if only you give me the grace, the power. Those are synonymous terms, grace and power. Give me the power to do what you command. We need the Holy Spirit for holiness. We need the Holy Spirit for spiritual growth, which I think is different. It's relationship. It's ongoing relationship with God. That we cannot have a growing, dynamic relationship without the presence of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. It's not a one-off event. Filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what? In Acts chapter 2, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. The the apostles, the the disciples of Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, the same people are filled again with the Holy Spirit. John Stott in his great little commentary on Acts says, the reason they're filled with the, the, the humans need to be filled with the Holy Spirit on more than one occasion is because we leak. <laughs> we do. We leak. We need the Holy Spirit not just one time, not just on the day of our confirmation. We need the Holy Spirit again and again and again. And we have to say to ourselves, oh my, I need the Holy Spirit and I, and I long for the Holy Spirit to make myself open and available and wait upon the Holy Spirit for He is the Lord, the giver of life, the one who proceeds from the Father and the Son. He does not operate at our command, but we wait upon Him. Come, Holy Spirit. Third, I think we need the Holy Spirit for power and mission. If we want to have a mission in the world of spreading the gospel... It does not begin with our cleverness. It's not our wits. It's not our reputation. And it certainly isn't our money. These are not the most important parts of doing mission in the world. The most important, indispensable ingredient is the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit if we're going to do mission in the world. He will empower our wits far beyond what we have. He'll make us seem more clever than we really are. He'll provide us with a better reputation than we think we have. He'll expand our dollars to make them go further than we ever thought they could. The Holy Spirit is indispensable for mission. When I was a kid, I used to watch um, the television show MASH. I don't know if any of you used to watch that. I still, if, I, if I'm flipping through the TV and I see MASH, I have to stop. Um, I, have a, I have a preference for the really older versions of MASH versus the newer ones, but I love it. I watch the, And I remember this one episode, my, one of my favorites, and maybe I've mentioned this before. It's an episode where there's a bomb that lands in the middle of the camp. Now, if you don't know, MASH is about a, um, it's about a, a surgical hospital in, in the, in the uh, Korean War that's near the front. So a bomb lands in the middle of their camp, and it doesn't explode. And so everybody doesn't know what to do. You know, they, they of course, call HQ, and HQ always has something more important to do. So they, um, they send down the field manual on how to dismantle the bomb. <laughs> and then the surgeons draw straws. And this guy, Pierce, draws the short straw. So he sticks on a helmet, and Henry Blake, the commander, has the field manual in his hand. Okay, And so he's going to read the field manual, and and he sends Hawkeye out there, Hawkeye Pierce, to go out and dismantle the bomb. And so he says, first of all, Henry says, take out the four screws on the top. And so Hawkeye takes off the four screws. He says, now turn it three times to the right, and now lift it off. And he lifts it off. Everything's good. And he's sweating bullets out there, you know, trying to dismantle this bomb. And the next thing he says is, now, now turn the firing pin three times to the right. One, two, three. And then Henry says, but before you do that, 
Yeah. And Hawkeye jumps and he runs for cover and everybody runs for cover and the bomb explodes, but it's not a real bomb, it's a propaganda bomb. And so like a tip, ticker tape parade, these little sheets of paper that tell you about the beauties of Chairman Mao or whoever, come flying down and, and they're all relieved. Whew, that was close. In all of our preparations, in all the things that we do for our own personal life, for the mission of the church, there is one indispensable ingredient, one thing we cannot forget. We need the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.